bless you. Praise the Lord, everybody. It's an honor to be here with you all this evening. Um, you all may be seated. Uh, I give honor to your pastor and to your bishop and to the leadership of this church. Um, a former missionary, I got to pick his brain a little bit um, before church. Uh, it's amazing what God is doing across this world. You know, I, I don't know about you, but I, I'm blessed. I get to travel on deputation right now, but I get to live overseas in a, a country that, you know, they don't have generations of people that have been preached the gospel to. Honestly, I was telling your pastor beforehand, and he has a little bit of connection, I guess, to the Republic of Georgia. Um, they, the only time that ever in history that we can find, that I've been able to find, um, is besides three missionaries of the UPCI, and I'll tell more about that here in a second. But other than that, the only time we've ever found anybody that ever came and preached the gospel was Andrew Urshan, back before the UPCI was formed. And then, other than that, was the Apostle Andrew. Other than that, this is a nation that does not know who Jesus is. This isn't a nation that hasn't had church for generations. Actually, the church that's there today was started in 2012. I had the privilege of being there with the former missionaries, Jared and Kim Staten. Uh, they were the former missionaries there, and I got a privilege to help them start the church. And I will tell you, in the last five years, we have seen over 600 people filled with the Holy Ghost and baptized in the precious name of Jesus. God is moving. I will tell you, every nation shall hear who Jesus is. Every tongue shall confess who God is. I will tell you, we're coming into the last days. We don't have much time. Every nation shall know who he is. I'm excited about it because we're living in the last days. And let me tell you something, church. If we're living in the last days, then we better just get ready for the last day harvest. We better get ready for the revival that God has promised us. He said the latter rain will be greater than the former rain. And if they were multiplying the church, then my God, God can be multiplying the church here. I'm excited about it. I, I can tell stories all night. I won't. Uh, trust me, I, I won't do that. I got, I got a long drive ahead of me tomorrow, so I'm definitely not doing that. But uh, I am honored to be here. Before I preach, though, I do want to show a video to let you see a little bit about Georgia. Most of you all probably never even heard of Georgia. Um, it's not by Atlanta. Uh, I have had people tell me after church, after even watching the video and preaching, uh, that we have family that lives near there, and I said, really? They say, yeah, right outside Atlanta. And I'll tell you, that's the wrong one. Um, so, but just let's watch the video. You can see a little bit about the country and a little bit about the church. Ten new churches in the city of Tbilisi, and two other churches in two other cities. Uh, I will tell you, God can do it, and God is going to do it. And it's just amazing what God is doing over there and all over the world. And 
you know, the city of Tbilisi is 2.5 million people. So, and it was built for about 800,000, and 2.5 million of them live there. Uh, so it's kind of crowded. Uh, but I'm going to minister, and why I minister, I tell stories. Um, I, I get that um, naturally, I guess, from my pastor. Uh, but if you turn in your Bibles with me, chap- Matthew chapter 14, um, starting with verse 13. It's a familiar set of scriptures. Um, probably all of us have, have heard of these scriptures before, and with the time of year it is, it's actually kind of interesting because it's about food, and who doesn't like food? Uh, I believe true Pentecostals, we're good at two things. We're good at having church, and we're good at eating. Um, and so that's real Pentecostals right there. But Matthew chapter 14, starting with verse 13, it says this, When Jesus heard of it, he departed thence by ship into a desert place apart. And when the people had heard thereof, they followed him on foot out of the cities. And Jesus went forth and saw a great multitude and was moved with compassion toward them, and he healed their sick. And when it was evening, his disciples came to him, saying, This is a desert place, and the time is now past. Send the multitude away, that they may go into the villages and buy themselves victuals. But Jesus said unto them, They need not depart, give ye them to eat. And they say unto him, We have here but five loaves and two fishes. And he said, Bring them hither to me. And he commanded the multitude to sit down on the grass, and took the five loaves and two fishes. And looking up to heaven, he blessed and brake, and gave the loaves to his disciples, and the disciples to the multitude. And they did all eat and were filled, and they took up the fragments that remained, twelve baskets full. And they that had eaten were about five thousand men, beside women and children. For the next few moments, if I can minister, I'd minister on this thought, from something small to something great. Uh, you know, we're living in a world of seven billion people, and, and I'm just one individual, and if you really look at that number, one out of seven billion, you could really start thinking that you're small and insignificant, that really, uh, one person, can they really make a difference? Can I really make a difference in my community or in this world? Can I really impact the world like never before? I, I'm not born of, you know, of the president's line, I'm not, you know, I'm not the most educated person, you know, you think of those things, and when you really do, and you dwell on them, you can really become small-minded, or you can become insecure, you can think that you're something that is small, but we got to understand something as a church, and as believers, that we are a child of God, and that we are not small and insignificant. I, I understand that I may just be one person out of seven billion people, but with God, that one person can change the world. With God, anything is possible. With God, we can do all things. And I will tell you, church, that I may be one person or you may be one person, but God can take that one person that may seem small in the grand scheme of things, but make it great. I understand that we are living in a time that it seems like the world is getting worse and worse. And it seems like maybe, if you look, it seems like the church is getting smaller and smaller. But I'm here to tell you, church, that it may look like that on the outside. But really what's happening is God is positioning the church to have the greatest influence it's ever had. To have the greatest revival that it's ever had. Not because it's that we're so great and we're so spectacular, but it's because God is timing is happening. It's God's timing for the church to be the greatest it's ever been. And, and so here, you got to understand something. We're, 
We're living in a time that is just perfect, you know. We have everything at our fingertips. We have a, a life of ease almost, uh, fast food. And trust me, I know all about fast food on deputation. And, and, you know, it doesn't seem like nowadays it's fast enough. And the Internet has got to get faster and faster. And everything is just at comfort and at ease. It's at our fingertips almost. Uh, if I want to call the people in the Republic of Georgia, I better not call now. It's too late. But I could call them from here and still talk to them right away. I don't have to wait for a reply a month later. But yet, everything's there. And you got to understand something. We have the greatest opportunity as the church. We have the greatest opportunity to reach the whole world. The whole gospel to the whole world. That is the motto of the UPC. And so... I, I, I come here tonight to tell us that we're greater than what we ever can imagine. We're stronger than what we ever could imagine. Not because of our pedigree, not because of who we are, but because of who he is. It's because of a God that we believe in and that we worship. And so let me get back to the scriptures that I read. I went off there for a little bit. So as my pastor would say, that's free. Um, but... Here, you got Jesus. He went away to be alone. He just had heard John the Baptist had died. And really, if you understand that John the Baptist was the forerunner of Jesus, and Jesus understood that his timing was coming to die on the cross. He understood that his ministry was about to take full effect and that he was coming to an end in doing what he was called to do and what he was placed here on earth to do, to die for our sins. And so he separated himself like he... he you know, most of us may not have done. And he separated himself apart in not a place of ease, not a place of comfort. He separated himself in the desert place. And the interesting part is that when the people had heard Jesus was in the desert place, a place that was not comfortable, a place that was not easy, they followed him on foot out of the cities. They didn't, it doesn't say they followed him on the camels or on the horses. They followed him on foot they followed him out of a place of ease and out of a place of comfort into a desert place. Now, I don't like the hot. And most of you must not either because you're in Ohio. And it gets cold up here during the winter, so you must like the cold. And you must be a little bit like me where you don't like the heat. And I don't know why people would go to the desert place. I, I was in Arizona for deputation, and my goodness, it's not somewhere I want to go during the summer ever again. 126 degrees, I don't care if it's hot, if it's humid or not, it's still hot. And it's miserable. And Jesus went there, and the people followed him on foot into the desert place, a place that is not comfortable. But they went there because they had a need, they had problems, they had situations going on. And when Jesus saw them, he, it says he was moved with compassion and he healed their sick. And, and that's a great testimony. And, and the multitudes were healed. And we don't know how many were healed, but we just know it was a great multitude. And that could have been the end of the scriptures right there. That could have been it. And we could rejoice. And people would preach that from sunup to sundown anywhere. And we could have a great shouting service with that. But I believe Jesus was making a point that day that he's not just a God that wants to heal. But he's a God that wants to fill the people. He doesn't want people walking out of his presence empty and hungry. He doesn't want them just walking away healed. But he wants them walking out of his presence filled. And so, the disciples being smart men, 
They understood it was evening time. They understood it was supper time and it was time to eat. And all of us, you know, when the preacher's preaching and it's supper time, the preacher just knows he has to stop because it's time to get them out so they can get food. When you get food on the mind, it's hard to get it off. I know everybody's fasting until Thursday, so that way they can eat a lot more on Thursday. But here you got the disciples understanding the time of day it was. They understood where they were at. They understood that they couldn't go down to the store and buy a McDonald's and buy a couple of cheeseburgers to feed everybody. They understood that there was no place just to go buy rice and beans for everybody to feed it, for feed everybody there. So in their mind, they said Jesus, or they made up in their mind that they had to tell Jesus, send them back to where they came from. You'd done the miraculous, you healed the people, but send them back to where they came from so that way they can eat. Send them back to their homes. Send them back to the place of ease. Send them back to where they where they were at so that way they can eat. And God told them, said, don't tell them to go, but give them to eat. Give them something to eat. He didn't ask what they had. He didn't ask them. He just said, give them to eat. And their response is better than mine because they knew what they had. They gathered all that they could have. That was there. They gathered up the five loaves and the two fishes. Evidently a little boy's lunch. And they said, all we have here, Jesus, is something small. Something that's insignificant to the masses amount of people that are around us. It's too small to feed the people that are here. Surely it's only good enough for a little boy's lunch. And surely, Jesus, you're not going to take his lunch and give it to somebody else. Surely you're going to tell everybody to go back their ways because all we have is five loaves and two fishes. Jesus, you can heal the sick, but God, you can't feed them, is what they were saying. And he said, give it to me. Give me what you got. It may look little in your hands. It may look like it's not enough. It may be just enough for maybe a little boy's lunch, but in the master's hands, it was a feast for the multitudes. What looked like it was just enough for one boy to get by, it was just enough for one lad to get through. It turned out to be a feast for the multitudes. 5,000 men, not including the women and the children, were fed that day. God said, hey, give me what you got, and I can take it and bless it and break it and multiply it. You may say, hey, it ain't much in my hands it may be five loaves and two fishes is all I got but I will tell you if you go ahead and give what you have to the master he can take it and feed the multitudes with it see I might be small and insignificant I may not have much to offer, but God's saying, I'm not basing what I can do off what you have to offer. I'm basing it off what will you get will you give me all you got? See The miraculous took place. The healings took place. But God was saying, I'm not just a God that wants to heal. But I'm a God that wants to fill. I'm a God that wants them to walk away full. They should never leave my presence empty. They should never leave me hungering and thirsting. That's scripture right there. That You don't have to walk away hungering and thirsting. You, you You shall be filled. If you hunger and thirst... For him, you can, you shall be filled. But yet, we have a mindset that sometimes we, based off what God can fill, based off what we have. And God says, don't do that. Just feed them. Just feed them. 
Give them what you got. It may be a little bit of that lad's lunch, but just give it to them. Just feed the multitudes with it. I understand you're in Cincinnati. I don't know how many people are in Cincinnati. But I don't know how many people are here tonight. But if we will look at the whole, as a whole of Cincinnati, we would say surely what we have here is not enough to reach all of Cincinnati. But God is saying I'm not basing it off the number of people you have. I'm basing it off are you going to give me what you have? Are you going to go ahead and give me what all you got? It may not it may look small and insignificant to the numbers of people around you. But I will tell you with what you have I can feed the multitudes. With what you have I can can reach all of Cincinnati. With what you have, I can reach all of Ohio. What with UPCI has can reach the whole world. See, you, got, you can't tell me God can't move. You can't tell me God can't do great things with one person or two people. If he can take five loaves and two fishes and feed the multitudes with that, then what can he do with the group of people that are baptized in Jesus' name, that are filled with the Holy Ghost? You have more to offer than you ever could imagine. It may not be the physical, but what it is is the spiritual. I told you I'd tell stories. And so here we go. See, in 2012, I went there as an aimer, working with a former missionary. I didn't know the language. I still don't know the language. It's one of my jobs when I get back. And I didn't have it all together. I'm not perfect. Never claim to be, never will. Except when I meet Jesus. Then you can look at me and say I'm perfect. Because when we see him, we shall be like him. And he's perfect. And so there you go. When you see me on the other side, that's when I'll be perfect. And so will you. But here you go, we, we didn't have it all together. We didn't have a building that could seat 100 people or 200 people. There was actually seven of us, the former missionary Jared Staten, his wife, and four little girls and me. Seven of us. None of us knew the language fluently. None of us could, I didn't know even how, places where I was supposed to be going. I knew how to get to the grocery store, back to the house, and to the missionary's home, and back to the and back, and then to the Georgian church where we were where we were trying to witness to at the time. And so we started an international church, and the missionary cast the vision, thirty people in the first year, and I've been part of home missions most of my life, and that's a big feat for the first year. This isn't a nation that you've been preaching for a generation. It's not a nation that's known for 10,000 people getting the Holy Ghost in one crusade or anything like that. This is a nation that I don't know how many people got in the Holy Ghost before that. And we could, I, it wasn't a lot, if any, hardly any, before that. But yet here the vision was, was 30 by the end of the year. And we started our prayer walks and fasting. And I will tell you, I didn't even have really the faith for 10, 30. I had faith for 10. And he had faith for 30, I had faith for 10, that puts 40. I guess if you add it up that way. But on our fifth day of prayer walks, we were asking God, will you unlock key people in this area? Will you give us key people to the city in this area? Can you give us key people? And on the way back to the car, finishing up our prayer walks, we ran into a young man who was on his phone, and we said hello, and he said hello, and continued talking on his phone for 10 minutes. We waited 10 minutes. He got off the phone. We said, where are you going? He said, I'm on my way to meet 
a pastor to talk about Jesus. I don't know about you, but I don't believe in coincidences. God orders the footsteps of the righteous. And so here you go. You got two people who can teach you all you need to know about Jesus. And we told him, we said, hey, you don't need to go there. We can tell you all you need to know about Jesus. And he gets in the car with us, and we take him to the metro, and he gets on the metro and goes meets the pastor. But he came to the Georgian Bible study that night that we were teaching. He must have liked what he heard because the next day he showed up to the Georgian church where the missionary was preaching baptism in Jesus' name, repentance, and Holy Ghost. At the end of service, he came to the front, repented of his sins, and he was filled with the Holy Ghost. On the metro ride home, I talked to him more about baptism in Jesus' name. We got to the missionary's home, and we baptized him in Jesus' name. That was day six of the prayer walks and fasting. We didn't even get through day seven yet. And so we get done with that sixth day, and we start teaching them a Bible study every day on the street. I walk up and down the streets teaching them a Bible study for the next two weeks. He was only in the country for three weeks. Then he left. But he introduced us to 70 people in two weeks. So we went from having seven people to eight people in six days to our first international Bible study. We had 28 in attendance. We had our first international church service in a room that seated 28 people that the Georgians let us use. It was over full the first service because we were over 30 in the first Sunday. That was in April. We were in a city of 2.5 million people, seven of us. And God was saying, go ahead, give me what you got. And I'll go ahead and start feeding the multitudes with what you got. So that's in April. By the end of July, my wife came in June to meet me. She showed up for a missions trip. She met me and said, I got to have them. So we were married 10 months later. Um, I don't know how it worked out, but all I told her is I'm not in this to date. I'm in this for marriage. Next thing I know, I'm married. Go figure. But yet, end of July, we, have our, we are about to move out of the building that seats 28 people into a room that can seat 200. I can tell you stories on building the building, and for sake of time, I won't go there because they're fun, but at the time, they weren't so fun. <laughs> they say blood, sweat, and tears go into the building of a church, and it really does. And... Um, I will tell you, we, we, got, we got our last service at, in that room that seated 28 people. And, you know, we've been running, we've been growing ever since we started the church. But that room that seated 28 people, it wasn't just 30, it wasn't just 40, it wasn't just 50. It was over 70 people crammed themselves into a room that was seated for 28. People sitting on top of people. People were standing behind the preacher when he was preaching. It, people were so hungry for God. There was, there was standing room only. When the altar call came, it was saying, hey, just people pray for yourself because we can't pray for you. We can't lay hands on you because we're overcrowded. That's in July, in four months' time. God said, you wanted 30, you wanted 10. But I can see the multitudes more than that. I see you at over 70 in four months' time. At the end of the year, we went from seven people to 200 by the first year. God was saying, watch me feed the multitudes with what you got. You may not know the language. You may not know where you're going. You may not know anybody that's around you. But go ahead and start going ahead and feeding the people. You say, hey, I don't have much to offer. But God says, what you got is more than enough. 
What you got in your hands is bigger than you could ever imagine. It may seem like enough for you just to get by from Sunday to Wednesday or Sunday to Sunday, but God is saying what you got here on Sunday is more than enough to feed the multitudes that are out there. See, and so we went from that. We had 150 baptized in the first year and 150 filled with the Holy Ghost in the first year alone. You tell me God can't feed the multitudes. You can't tell me that because I've seen it. I didn't have faith for it all, but God said, you know what? I'll go ahead and take what you have because you're giving me all you got. In 2016, during the summer, I was sitting at home on a Monday evening, spending time with my family, relaxing a little bit. And my wife had a broken phone at the time. Nobody ever called her on it because she didn't answer. And it didn't ring. And the other half of the time, it was just dead. And so, only, but only five people had her number anyway. And it rang. Got my curiosity going. So I got up. It was a number I didn't recognize. And on the other end of the line was a man named Zura. He was actually in the video. He had the white, red shirt on with white stripes praying in the altar. He, uh, he, he got on the other end and he said, I hear you teach Jesus. And this is in broken English. And I said, yes. I can, I can, I teach Jesus. He said, can you teach me? I said, sure. We set up a time. This is about a 10 minute conversation to get that much out. I still don't speak Georgian people. And so I get there the next day and take a friend with me. I didn't know where I was going. Didn't know what I was walking into. I sit down he introduces me to his brother, his dad, and a bunch of other people that are around, but I teach him and his brother a Bible study. 45 minutes later, I start with John 1.1, actually, and 45 minutes later, I end in John 1.1. He didn't understand one word I said. I was trying to break it down every which way possible, and he didn't get one word of it. I'm thinking in my head, what am I doing here? Is this really a distraction from what God's wanting to do, or he's never going to invite me back? Surely he's never going to have me come back because he can't understand me. And so he said, after the Bible study, I thought I was never going to hear from him again. He said, tomorrow you come. I said, sure. And I said, okay, I'll come. He gets his phone out. He types 10 a.m. on his phone. And I was surprised because Georgians don't start their day till 10 a.m. You get on the road at 8 o'clock in the morning, you're the only one there. It's a beautiful sight. <laughs> Safest time to drive. And yet, so I get there the next day. He, I pick him up. He takes me to another place. I teach him and a young lady a Bible study. I get done with that Bible study. After 45 minutes, I'm still teaching John 1.1. 1, 1. I get through and he takes me to another group of people. I teach them John 1, 1. I get through with that one. He takes me to another group of people and I teach them John 1, 1. I don't think one of them understood what I was saying. I don't think under one of them ever understood anything. All I knew was I was going and I was keep on teaching the word. This happened every day for two weeks. I taught Muslims, I taught Jehovah's Witness, I taught Orthodox people, Bible studies, and I never got past John 1.1. Frustrating, I know. 
Because you never get past John 1. I'm a better Bible study teacher than that. I'm not that long-winded. But here you go. Two weeks later, teaching him and four Muslims of Bible study at his home now. In a little room. It's not huge. There's enough for four little beds and a coffee table, and that's it. And walkways about wide enough for you to turn sideways and move through. He, he, at the beginning of the Bible study, he says, can we pray? I said, sure, we always pray. He said, I need a job. You heard the statistics on the video. I got done praying. It was a simple prayer. God, give him a job. Well, there was no shaking and laying hands on him and you know, bending him over backwards or anything like that. I just said, God, give him a job. Simple. Yeah. God would answer prayer if we just pray him. And 30 minutes later in the Bible study, he didn't know that phone etiquette, you're supposed to turn off your phone. He gets his phone call. He answers it. It interrupts the whole Bible study. Can't really understand what he's saying, but I understood the facial expression. Thirty, and when he got on that phone call, when he got a job offer, not making five dollars a day, but at that time it was equivalent to about ten dollars a day. He lit up. He said, "God just gave me a job. I got a job." It was 30 minutes later after the prayer request that God said, "Hey, guess what? I'm going to go ahead and give you the job." So I went from teaching them every day of the week to teaching them. One time a week for the next three months. Still three months later, John 1, 1. But I'll never forget in that Bible study three months later when he lifted up his hands and the power of God fell in the room and he was filled with the Holy Ghost. You tell me God can't use what you got to feed the people. God's saying, look, if you just give me what you got, I will go ahead and feed the multitudes with it. You ain't, we have no excuses. We have nothing that should be able to stop us. What seems like enough just for us. God is saying it's a feast for the multitudes. God's saying this word is bigger and more than enough for everybody in the whole world. It's not just enough for you and your family. It's not just enough for this church. I will tell you it's a feast for the multitudes. God's looking for somebody who will say, hey God, here's what I got. Can you use it? Can you take what I have and feed the multitudes with it? We're afraid of giving what we have because we're afraid of running out. But if you look at the story here in the scriptures, they didn't run out, but there was plenty left over. There was an abundance left over. I will tell you, church, the Holy Ghost never runs out. The baptism in the name of Jesus never runs out. The blood never stopped flowing from Calvary. The word has never drawn up and died yet. I will tell you, it's more than enough. See, you can't tell me God can't move. One more story and I'll close it. 2015, I was, in, in the summer, I went to the city of Batumi. I went there to meet a pastor. Had an interpreter with me that time. And he, uh, I planned on, actually, before I met him, I planned on staying and preaching for him. I don't know, I just felt it, so I studied prepared for it and got there and the pastor actually asked us to stay over and preach but the interpreter went home go figure 
I'm going to go preach at a Georgian church and I speak English. And he speaks Russian and Georgian. But lo and behold, God provided. Because another group showed up that same weekend. They had a lady that could speak English and Russian. And so she would interpret from English to Russian. And the pastor would interpret from Russian into Georgian. So I got up there to preach. Now these were an Orthodox church. This was a church that they, they have something but not the full truth. I don't know what you would call them. And here, I'm in a basement of a Catholic church. And I'm preaching on faith and talking about the woman with the issue of blood and having faith. And I started saying the name of Jesus. And I started noticing every time I said Jesus, the interpreter wouldn't say Jesus. But the pastor would. I was like, this is cool. (laughs) So I did some more. I want to test it out. And it happened every time. So I got done preaching. I said, okay, I'm going to pray. And I prayed, and she actually, during the preaching, she got rebuked by the pastor. Because I asked her, because he said something to her. I said, what did he say? I thought he was telling me to close it down or something. She said, he just got on to me. I said, okay. Because she didn't have faith. She just was like, I preach, and it go down like, a, it was the worst roller coaster ever. It, would, it was up and down. And here you go. I wanted to pray. They asked, I went to pray, and I'd pray, and they wanted to interpret the prayer. She didn't have no passion or anything, and she didn't want to say the name of Jesus. And so it was just kind of like up and down the It was just, it was all over the place. It was trying, it was, you know, one of those things you're trying to build momentum, and it just felt like it was hitting a brick wall. And so I just started saying the name of Jesus, and he started saying it. I'd say it, he'd say it, I'd say it, he'd say it. Eventually, the interpreter stepped aside. All of a sudden, all 50 Georgians that were there stood up, marched around to the left side of the room and started a prayer chain. I walked over to him, couldn't ask him what was wrong with him, couldn't say, what can I pray for you for? I just started laying hands on him. Afterwards, we got through all 50 of them. Two of them got up and testified right there on the spot. God had healed me. I will tell you, church, we, you can say every, you can come up with every excuse in the book, but I won't believe it because God is saying, look, I can do, I can do more with what you got. I can feed the multitudes with it. If he can overcome any language barrier, then he can come over any fault that I ever had. He's just looking for somebody who's willing to give what they got. See, the disciples learned something in those scriptures that day. They got a revelation. See, when Peter went to the gate, the temple in Acts chapter 3 to pray, the man man that was lame from his mother's womb had been there multiple times. He said, give me some money. Peter and John said, I ain't got no money, look at us. But evidently he saw something because he was still expecting to receive something. So what did Peter say? Peter said, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have, give I thee. I may not have money. I may not have the best building in Georgia. I may not have the best degree. I don't have really any degree. I may not be able to speak the language, but what I do have, I give I thee in the name of Jesus. I will tell you, church, it's not based off your pedigree. It's not based off your degree or off your finances. It's about giving what God has already given you. 
You wonder why they had such a great revival in the book of Acts? is because they gave what they had. Always stand tonight. You got more than you've ever thought possible, church. I'm talking about individuals. I'm not talking about the church as a whole. It's individuals. You got more to give than you've ever thought possible. My goodness, you got more than enough to feed the multitudes of Cincinnati. And we got more than enough to reach this whole world. And God's saying, I'm just looking for somebody who will give me what you got. You say, well, I ain't got everything. I don't have it all lined up. We don't have a building that's big enough. Man, that's not based off your building. It's not based off your good looks. It's based off giving what you got. And when we get out of the mindset saying I'm small and insignificant, God will say, I'll take what's little to you and I'll make it great. Church, you got more to offer than you've ever imagined. Individuals, young people, old people, you got more to offer than you ever could imagine. You know the language at least. You have friends here, you know where you're going. God's saying, I'm ready to pour out my spirit. I'm ready to have the greatest harvest ever this world has ever seen. But I'm just looking for somebody to give what they have. Tonight you may be saying you're small and insignificant. What you have don't matter. I know in churches it's easy to think, oh, somebody else will take my spot. But they were never meant to take your spot. God gave you what you had for a reason. So He could use what you have to feed the multitudes. You may say, I'm little, I'm, I'm young, or I'm old, or I'm past my prime. God's saying, I'm not worried about that. Will you give me what you got? Will you give it to me? So I can bless it and break it. And give it back to you so you can give to the multitudes. They all walked away filled that day. They didn't just get a taste. But they walked away filled. How many people can walk away filled with what we got? How many people can be walk away filled with what you got? Pastor. I think everybody in this building ought to find a place right now to pray. The Holy Ghost is in this house. I think every single one of us need to bury our face before God. If you, if you want to come to the front of this house, we need to get a hold of God right now. The Lord. Hallelujah. The Lord is anointing people right now. The Lord is anointing people for His glory. Come on, that's it. The call has gone forth. The call has gone forth. In the name of Jesus, come on. I want somebody, everybody to bring what you've got. Bring what you've got. Put it in the master's hand. 
Hallelujah. Come on, that's it. Let the Lord speak to you. Let the Lord use you and inspire you in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. 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 That's it. Just pour it all out to Him right now. Pour it all out to Him right now. In the name of the Lord. In the name of the Lord. In the name of the Lord. Take my feet. Touch my heart, Lord. Speak through me. If you can use anything. Hallelujah. The devil has lied to some of you and told you you don't have anything. He's lied to some of you, told you that you're insignificant, that you don't matter, that what you have to offer is not important. And the word of the Lord rose up against that lie that's been in your mind. The word of the Lord has risen up against that lie that's in your mind. Come on, put everything you are into the hands of God. You don't even have to know what talent you have. Just say, God, just take all of me. Just take all of me. I give you all of me. I give you all of me. Hallelujah, Lord. If you can use you can use me. I give you everything. I give you everything. Oh, take my hands. Take my feet. Touch my heart, Lord, speak through me. If you can use anything, Lord, you can use. Oh, yes. If you can use anything, Lord, you can use me. Hallelujah. If you can use anything, Lord, you can use me. Oh yes, take my hands, take my feet, touch my heart, Lord. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. You can use me, Jesus. You can use me. Take my hands, take my feet, touch my.